if you're looking to build a business that just feeds your soul and gives you deep fulfillment on a day-to-day basis and aligns with your true passion and purpose, then today is an episode that you don't want to miss. Welcome to The Road to Seven. I'm your host, Sheila Cummins. I am an entrepreneur, a mentor, an investor, a wife, and mom to three beautiful children. Women entrepreneurs are up-leveling and changing the rules for business strategy, leadership, success, money, and impacting the world every single day. The Road to Seven is the diary of business strategy for women entrepreneurs. We meet you where you're at in your business and champion you along the road to your vision. And I am honored you chose to join us today. Ready to go? Buckle up. It's time to hit the road. Welcome back to The Road to Seven with Sheila Cummins. My name is Sheila Cummins, and today I am interviewing Libby Wildman. Libby has over 35 years of financial services and life planning experience. She was the founder of Wildman & Associates, a highly successful wealth management firm that provided a comprehensive set of financial services and specialized in insurance products and planning. She is now a head of wealth advisory at Davis Ray Limited Investment Council and is a lifetime member of Advocus and Calu. Her best days are when she helps women in particular get clear on what they need to do financially and realize it's not as hard as they thought it would be and that they are actually in better shape than they realize. Libby is also the creator of Liminal Escapes Retreats and her women's entrepreneur community, The Collective. She chooses to give back in many ways, including charities, mentoring, and often hosting pop-up dinners in her and her partner's home for entrepreneurs where she cooks for them and hosts fascinating conversations. Libby is a sought-after speaker for both the insurance industry and on connecting your self-worth with your wealth. Libby has been recognized as a woman of influence and is currently the financial contributor for Living Lux magazine. Her love of life is giving back as she is grateful for all the early positive help she had in life, but her best moments are as a mom of three kids in their 20s. I hope that you enjoy our conversation today as much as I did. You know how when you meet different people and there's some people who you gravitate to and you just start talking with them and they're the kind of woman who you just can't talk to enough? Because there's so many layers to what they're saying. There's so much depth to what you're talking about. And you just know that you're going to be great friends. That is exactly what happened with my guest today, Libby Wildman, when we met at a networking event a couple of weeks ago. And she's just one of those women. And through my interview today, I know that you are going to connect with her as well. And I also know that you're going to want to be following her because this is a woman who is changing the way that women and people work with their money. Libby, first off, I know how busy you are. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, Sheila, like I'm going to have to send you a gift, a thank you gift. Those are just the nicest things ever. Thank you. I felt the same way. It was so easy. So thank you. I Well, I feel like we're done. We're done. I've heard all the episodes complete. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it's it's true. I think I'm so intrigued by your story. 
And I know that stories are something that are an integral part of you and how you work and what you do. Tell me, though, have you always worked helping people manage and grow their money? No, no. Ooh. <laughs> no, when I was younger, I actually taught people like how to water ski and I was a swim instructor and get into a little bit later on. But I went traveling by myself for a year. I had an English degree. And I came back from traveling and I said to my dad, what the heck am I going to do, man? And he said, get a job with London Life, IBM, Procter & Gamble or Xerox. Because with your little three-year English degree, what the hell are you going to do? All of these companies will train you and you'll have a skill set then. So it's like, okay, well, you're a London Life dad. I'll write the personality test and see if I pass. And and so I started there and way back then in the dark ages of 1988, you had to choose because the banks did not yet own insurance companies and brokerage houses. You had to choose which path you went down. And so I went down insurance and estate planning. And it wasn't until later on when the banks bought insurance companies and brokerage houses that we were actually forced to manage money because when you work for a large corporation, they compensate you in such a manner to really force you to start selling what they would like you to sell. Wow. From so. water ski instructor to wealth manager. That's an awesome journey. They, they both sort of like are exciting and thrilling and scare the poop out of you at the same time. I actually went over a water ski jump, which now, of course, they won't let you do because, you know, you might hurt yourself and, and, and sue the place. But at this little place in Aurelia on Lake Kuchiching called Geneva Park. I was 12. I was the youngest person ever to go over the water ski jump, all because I wanted to impress my father. I had I had a complex about not being very interesting compared to my brother. Oh, well, you know, I think that's such a metaphor for life. You took the jump off the, the water ski jump. And, you know, something that you said that I know we, we've talked about and was a real common thing was, and you've just said it now, is I like to scare myself. And I was talking when we met earlier and I was saying how I used to do mountaineering, which is for someone who's terrified of heights, literally the stupidest thing that you can do. But what were you thinking? Like, well, exactly. I was like, OK, apparently I'm going to do this. And it pushed me physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. But the adrenaline that came from standing up at that peak, me having gotten up there from my own pure grit, <laughs> literally hanging on by my fingernails, you know, and I think that I am a little bit of that adrenaline junkie. The adrenaline that came from doing that mountaineering carried me. And I think it's also been really beneficial in business where I do all these bold moves and try new things because it's scary and there's an adrenaline that's attached. Tell me about you and your drive to take those scary moves. You know, you talked about traveling when you were 18 and then, you know, take it from there. It, it, it is interesting because not everybody should be an entrepreneur and there's no shame in that. It, it's like when I entered the life insurance industry and, you know, two out of 10 stay longer than two years. And the people that left, they really felt like they'd failed at something as opposed to, oh, well, phew, I learned that this wasn't something I wanted to do. But but when we cut through the middle of most entrepreneurs that we meet, know, and you and I meet a lot of them. There are some common characteristics and <laughs> actually Cameron Harold, who started 1-800-GOT-CHUG, he said when I was listening to him speak a number of years ago through EO, the entrepreneurs organization, that 
all entrepreneurs have these same characteristics as somebody who's bipolar. Like, you know, we get very excited by ideas. We're very driven and, and we have that, that high, right? And, and you, you get addicted to that high. And I think, you know, it's probably why I like drinking wine. It's probably mm-hmm. why I like putting myself in scary situations. It's probably why I was a competitive swimmer because you really, you, you, you look for that thing that I call it the juice, right? It juices you. And in the beginning, I, I guess you can't really identify it, but maybe, maybe you just do things. But I'll, I'll tell you, I grew up in a household and I was the middle child, older brother, younger brother. And I truly grew up with a dad who encouraged us to take risk. I mean, he tied a ladder to the diving board in our backyard and was like, you will be climbing to the top of this and jumping off, which my younger brother hated. And it was a horrible thing for him to be subjected to this. Whereas I went, I'm not only going to jump off, I'm going to dive off. And I mean, I hurt my head. So I was like, okay, well, I won't do that again. <laughs> but I just, you know, I think I grew up with that feeling. And I really, as I said earlier, I loved being the apple in my dad's eye. And I always wanted to please him. He was a really, really gregarious, outgoing, loving person. And people loved to be in his light. And I think I was always looking for places to be in his light. And so if he wanted me to be outrageous, and so I did a lot of things like public speaking. I love public speaking. I won the poem contest in kindergarten and I read the poem. I have my father's eyes. So I've been really, really encouraged to do this. And then I, I love it. And so one of the things that I always really, really wanted to be was Diane Sawyer. I don't know if anybody remembers her from 60 Minutes, but her job was to know people's stories. And so again, when I was growing up and I was looking at all these interesting people that she got to meet and talk to, and I was like, oh, so for all the things I can't do, if I can sit with people who are doing super interesting things and then be of value to those people, I think that's what really drove me to all of that. I'm not even sure I answered your question. No, I think you did. And I think, you know, it'd be really interesting to know what is the juice within what you're doing now, or how do you keep that, not the chase of the thrill, that's not what we're talking about, but how do you keep it fresh so that you're in that constant state of growth and evolution? You started in Insurance 101, for lack of a better way of describing it, and now you're working in this very complex field, you know, in the financial world. How, what What's that juice? What's driving you? So there's two sides to that. One, I get a big kick out of potentially going after somebody, you know, who's in the limelight or let's call them quite wealthy and that I can convince them that I can actually help them. Because what we do, you know, lots of firms offer the same kinds of things. And I I went through so much money in coaching trying to come up with my elevator pitch and you know in in the end it's like it's the silliest thing ever like nobody needs an elevator pitch but it it was always like what is your point of genius and it can't be you and I have really figured out in the last few years actually it is me Mm -hmm. and my partner John O'Connell and our staff that actually is the differentiation because everybody in the financial services world can invest your money and lots of people can do financial plans but if we can provide an atmosphere where people feel super safe and they're under the tent and they feel for the first time that they can divulge things about what they want help with and how they feel about the relationship with money, then I feel incredibly special about being the chosen one 
that they feel comfortable sharing these stories with. And then I help them get over those stories. So much like you might be coaching an entrepreneur as to, you know, get over imposter syndrome. For me, it's helping people, whether they're, you know, a millionaire or somebody who's just starting to build their wealth. How do they figure out what their money thing means to them? So does this mean freedom? Does it mean I want to get more money away? Does it mean just safety and security? And what I have found out is, and as a mother, you may get this, we pass on fears and biases from generation to generation. You know, if your mother was afraid of snakes, I bet you you're afraid of snakes. But if you had scarcity around money in the house or you weren't to talk about it, where that was not considered really nice girls don't talk about money or Sheila, like I was going to be brought up to just marry well. I would have my summers in Muskoka. I mean, anyway, the furthest thing happened from the truth. But so it's, it's a real joy for me when I see people after we've spent some time together, understand what money means to them, why they're, why they're earning it, why they're saving it, why they might spend it and what they can do with it. And to get away from the scarcity there will never be enough and I have to grab what I need for me and my family to sufficiency and actually enjoying what you have right now and then being mindful about why you are actually accumulating more. I think it's so refreshing. You know, it's not about invest in this stock, take your money and put it here, become a millionaire, but to buy the big house. You know, it really is that how can we make money fulfilling? You know, how can we use it as a tool for good? So I'm reading this book called The Soul of Money by Lynn Twist, which I love because she's actually 72. So she's writing from a place of wisdom now about decades of experience in being her thing was to try and solve world hunger but she and her husband you know started off pork world and, and made lots of money and then they sort of changed their way she ends up meeting with mother Teresa, and she has this very big learning from mother Teresa because while she was speaking to mother Teresa, this very wealthy east indian couple came in because they were in india and disturbed their conversation and grabbed mother Teresa roughly and and had their picture taken with mother Teresa. and so Lynn Twist wrote to Mother Teresa because she could not get it out of her head how rude this wealthy couple were that wanted to have time with Mother Teresa. And Mother Teresa wrote back to her and actually scolded her because she said, you know, you're trying to solve world hunger and you're very familiar with the plight of the poor and those that don't have enough. And she said a lot of very wealthy people actually need help as well because they are so wealthy and this judgment is put upon them that they often don't get to choose to enjoy just everyday life. They don't get to choose, let's say, if they're wealthy and famous to go out for a walk in the morning and not be bothered. But they also have so much that they have lost all meaning with why they have what they have. And then they're so worried about what their children are going to do and who their children are going to grow up and be. And will their children accurately and beautifully reflect what this wealth should mean. And we all know that it's very hard when everything is given to you to figure out if you have a gift, a purpose, or a reason to be here. And, and the truth is that every single person does, but sometimes wealth can actually be a detriment to people finding true happiness. And so that really struck me because, you know, you and I, a lot of people we hang out with are already in, let's call them the 1%, because quite frankly, the average Canadian family in Canada lives off an income of like $65,000. And so it's how do we help everybody to come together and truly 
be more open-minded about, oh, that person over there, I immediately think this of them. And and so I really like to go into all of the, the, the sort of the first meetings with the people we meet. And I don't Google people. I don't do anything because I don't want to have a bias. I just want to know what's your story and do you have a good heart and do you have good values? Because if you do, then you are welcome to come and be a part of my circle in my life. I would like to help you do the most you can with your money, whether that's for you, whether that's for charity, whether that's for looking after your parents who immigrated to this country and drove a taxi cab, even though they were drivers in another country. So you could go to medical school and you could go to business school. That's to me, want to hear my affirmation that I worked on with my coach? Yes, please. I'm actually, you're not really supposed to share this, but I'm so excited we did this last week. And I had helped my coach with some financial planning. And so she turned around and said, okay, I got to work with you. So this is the essence of who I am right now and how I want to show up right now. So with affirmations and you write them out and have them around the house so you can see them, they, they have sort of an opening and a closing. So at some point I'll be ready to move on to the next one. But the one that I have right now, and you always start the same way, it is good for me, Libby Wildman, and my future self and good for others. When I am here to fulfill my soul's desire, I fulfill my human desire to serve others at the highest level. I am peace and joy, so be it, it is done, cosmic speed. So that to me right now, because I'm a little bit older, is where I feel I can do the most good, and I'm also feeding myself. And it would have been different you know, two years ago or a decade ago. But sure. But I think, you know, that's such a beautiful mantra. And I think it speaks to the idea of success. By all means, a lot of people on the outside look like they should feel successful, but they feel empty or there's something missing or, you know, they walk away from their seven-figure corporate job to find themselves. And I think what you're talking about is success is really rooted in, and these are Tony Robbins' words, they're not mine, but in that concept of of growth and contribution. It's not, it's about me being in a state of growth and about me being able to contribute elsewhere in some type of capacity. And it doesn't have to be financial. You know, contribution can come through so many different ways. And when I think you can find that blend in your work, that is when you find true fulfillment and you find your calling. Yes. And when you carry that energy around with you, people know it. Mm -hmm. They feel it. Yes. You know, we've had, since I joined Davis Ray four years ago, We've had so many women move over because they just go, you get me. And, you know, unfortunately, there still is a lot of mansplaining at the banks and and things like that. Like I've had a a number of women come over, very, very successful women will say to me, I'm afraid to call my broker. He's going to yell at me if I ask for money or I try to talk to him about fees and he got really mad at me. Mm. And I just think, wow, where? So A, why is that happening? But B, why do these successful women not feel like they have the right to ask the questions? And then also when they're super uncomfortable to vote with their feet and leave. Because right. on the flip side, that they're worried about hurting the person's feelings. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's really, it's this odd, odd world that women live in this dichotomy of where we often feel spoken down to, but then we actually don't feel like we have the right to make a change. Yeah. Great point. Great point. Tell me what it's been like being a woman in a male-dominated space. So when I started in 1988, and it truly was very, very few women, you know, before Me Too happened, really, Sheila, 
I did not think about what happened to me during, you know, a good 15 or 20 years where I would be one of the few women at conferences. And, you know, if you stay up late at night, conversations that go on and things like that, I really, truly felt that it was just something you dealt with. And, and, you know, I also grew up with my dad and two brothers and he would like, if I was seeing a big client that day and I might be dressed up really nicely because we all wore suits and stuff downtown back then, he'd say, Oh, Libby, you got your closing blouse on today. You laugh, right? But that was sort of summing up the genre of it, right? And, and so it, it was weird. And in retrospect, I actually eventually worked with a coach, Sheila, to work on this because I really didn't like the fact that even some clients it became uncomfortable with. And, and I say this with great sensitivity. I was somebody that needed to be needed. And I think that when I was sitting with some clients, I gave off an energy where I was maybe a little too friendly. And so I had to work with my coach that I am in a leadership role. I am in a role of giving advice and counsel on people and how they arrange their wills and how they manage their money and how they, you know, if they die, what happens with their family and what do they need. But I I need to also, as a woman, make sure that I'm very clear energetically that this is my role here and there is nothing further. And so that was actually... Not that I had a responsibility because it's never right for somebody to be inappropriate, but I, I think it really served me well to understand that. And I've coached a lot of women who, for instance, go into the mining industry, right? Or they're on the trading floor or they're in a really male bastion thing. I'm not where what you want. And it's still inappropriate if men react in a certain way. But if you know that you are going into something where it is going to be full of this culturally, historically, could we say almost inappropriate atmosphere, do yourself a favor. Put on the party clothes when you go and go nightclubbing and dancing, whatever. But if you are at work, I, I just think it serves women well to not be noticed for what we're wearing, to be yes. noticed for what's coming out of our, our, our mouth, our head and our heart. I know you and I both do a lot of speaking. And one of the things that I've learned through the years of speaking on stages is not to wear anything that's too bold. So I used to, I have a Kelly green dress, one of my favorite. I used to wear it on stage. And then I wore that and all people would say when I got off the stage was, oh, Sheila, I love your dress, which is very nice. I'm very appreciative yes. of the comment. Yes. Thank you. When I wore just traditional navy blue, nondescript, you know, nothing fancy, but I felt good in it. Nobody said anything about what I wore. They actually listened to the words. Yep. And I think, you know, that's something that a women do to each other, but also is an undercurrent of what happens in the workplace. And I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. So, you know, you and I have talked a little bit about this. It's the needle is not changing for women. You know, we, we still get like 2% of BC money. We're not appropriately in the C-level suites, nor board positions and things like that. And I mean, there are some reasons why, but my experience, and I'll tell you with my boys who are 21 and 24, I've now heard them say, oh, she got the job because she's a woman. And men in the financial services industry, I'll tell you when I tell them about the stories. And there was one firm in particular in the late 80s and early 90s that literally gave breast enhancements as a Christmas bonus to the secretaries. They were called secretaries back then. So I, I grew up all this with this in the private dining rooms and blah, blah, blah. 
And so men that I've been talking to have said, oh, yeah, but it's changed now. Like women get way more money and there's way more women in, in C-suites and da, 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 da. And I have to say to them, actually, it's not true. And they're like, but, but every time I go on LinkedIn or I look somewhere, you know, there's all these women entrepreneur things and there's all these, you know, we're hiring women. And so they think that things have changed, but things haven't changed. So we need to change the message. And and I think that it behooves women, whether you're a woman entrepreneur or a corporate woman, that it behooves us to give the message that this is how we would like to be treated during the work hours. I agree. I agree. It's the only way to change the bias, yeah. the unconscious bias. Libby, I got two more questions and I am going to let you go. I know you're busy. The first question is, what do you know now that you wish you'd known when you started your career? Oh my gosh, just what we were talking about. Embrace fear. Mm. I now know when I feel fearful about something that I should get excited because it's important to me. And I now know I'm on the right path versus, eh, okay, yeah, I can do that. So I really look for things now to push myself into that zone because I know that's going to create growth for me. And I'm going to somehow or another meet somebody interesting or have an interesting experience. And it's, it's worth it. It's totally worth it. Fantastic. Tell me what's next for Libby Wildman. We haven't even touched on the retreats that you won, by the way. I think we're just going to have to have you back and we can talk about. I didn't know you if know, this was an hour or what. Yeah, no, well, I'll, I'll yeah. have you back and I'd like to talk yeah. about actually, literally, how you use your power of connection as your marketing tool. I think that would be a fabulous podcast. So we'll have you come back and talk yeah. about that. But tell me what's next for you. We're expanding the retreat business, Liminal Escapes. Liminal literally means your future has changed, but you don't yet know how. So for the first time in the whole wide world, everybody has been in a space of liminal because of COVID. COVID has literally changed everybody's life for, for you know, for bad or for, for good. So what we do is we bring in different types of teachers and then on a very small basis, like six people and the Zoom call with us so they know exactly why they're coming to this retreat. But for instance, with my lifelong teacher, Lorianne King, it's all about self-connection and self-worth. And I know from working with people on money that if you actually know that you have a worth, a value, a passion, a, a, a gift, if you can come to understanding that you are a worthy person, all of this money stuff will go away. I'm not saying you're going to instantly earn it, but what you have will be more meaningful and what you're starting to accumulate will be more meaningful. So that's a really, really big thing for me because that took me a long time to understand I was a worthy person, which actually showed up in my male relationships too, because I've been divorced twice. I didn't feel worthy of a great love. So it goes through all of these things. And so different types of, of teachers. Owen Steinberg is a fabulous chef. He was Joe Bistro in Harvard Kitchen. We're going to be on New Farm, which is a completely regenerative farm, doing a cooking culinary retreat in the fall. That is still be about self-connection. You're going to be using the skill of learning to cook better and, and loving being in the kitchen, but it still will be about self-connection and also giving back to Mother Earth. So that's kind of where... My, my, my excitement is really coming from and it'll meet new people through there who, you know, they might say, wow, this is really cool. Can you help me with some other things? And, and so then we can maybe move into the money side of things. But that's where my real excitement is right now. I love it. We will put links to all of those down in the show notes. If you want to connect with Libby, go and find her on LinkedIn. That's where she spends most of her time. 
go have a look at Davis Ray. It's a really neat concept of wealth management. And, you know, as Libby says, you don't have to come in with a million dollars. Just come in with what you've got and then talk to Libby to make sure that you're a good fit. And they'll tell you what your next steps are. So Libby, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Well, Sheila, thanks for doing this and shining the light. Oh, it's a pleasure. The words that I have on my mind when it comes to you is you bring a uh, human to the financial industry. <gasps> that. I'll you for six months and then it's mine. <laughs> it's yours today. Okay. Uh, Libby, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Thank you for listening to The Road to Seven. If you found value in what you've heard today, please leave us a five-star rating and a written review. You might just get a shout-out on an upcoming episode, and you never know when I'm going to be mailing some surprise treats to our reviewers. Make sure to subscribe so you automatically get notified when new episodes are released. Are you looking for a way to connect with other entrepreneurs that are facing the same challenges as you? I'd love to connect with you in the Road to 7 Facebook group on Instagram and LinkedIn. Just head to SheilaCummins.com. You will find all the links that you need right there. Together, we'll explore more ways to support your shift into action so that you can grow your business to finally match your vision. I love aligning your vision of success with strategic and intentional actions because that is how we will grow your business to match your vision. I focus on women, all women, because women hold the keys and the power to creating a powerful and positive world through their impact. We'll see you on the next episode.